Ian for being here this morning. We've got an excellent presenter. Ian Rodwell is from Mocha Movi, Mocha Social Media. Uh, and he's here to tell us the story of uh, his phenomenal business. What interests me partly about, about this story is that right in our own backyard, we've got people doing very interesting things in, in the startup community, running businesses, some successful, some spectacular failures. I won't, won't get into that category this morning, Ian. Um, and what we're trying to do is profile some of those businesses so we can learn from those people around us that are uh, at a different stage of the journey. So much as Charlie was talking about covering the stories of local startups in the business news, we also want to provide you guys with an opportunity to hear those stories firsthand, ask questions, and meet the people in your neighborhood who are uh, building technology startups. So, Ian Rodwell from Mokomoke. Thanks, Justin. Um, thank you and thanks for having me here. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about who we are. Um, this is not meant to be a corporate presentation, although I'm, I've worked over the top of one, so apologies if it sort of comes across that. But I just thought I'd give you a bit of background as to who and what we are, and then I can sort of ret you know, retrace our roots and sort of then sort of talk about how we got here and um, some of the, the, the pitfalls and the issues that I've faced along the way. Um, and that I'm sure you guys, are, you know, if you haven't already, will definitely face. Um, and then, so I'll sort of zip through this, and then hopefully do more of a Q and A because I think it's probably going to be more helpful for you guys to ask me questions that are relevant to you rather than just listening to me spruik on. So, but I will just give you a bit of background to give you some context of of where we are. So, um, Moco Social Media. So essentially, what we are is. Um, we're a customizer and a builder of bespoke social media platforms specifically for mobile. Um, and it'll make more sense as we sort of go through into this. Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> there you go, technology not working. Um, so really what it is is that you know, we, we've been through quite a big sort of cycle. Um, where we started and where we are today is actually a bit of a circle. Um, so essentially what, what we do is we go out and identify um, partners that we can work with to create these highly tailored mobile community applications um, and then we commercialize it by selling the space to mobile advertising. So this sort of summary. Um, so we enter into these exclusive agreements. Everything we do um, is an exclusive arrangement so that given that we're going to undertake a lot of um, development risk of ourselves, um, you know, we have to have this exclusivity arrangement with, um, with, these, with these groups. And these interest groups, these large interest groups, you know, they have to tick a couple of boxes as to uh, whether or not we go into this project or not. That is that they've got to be in an existing large incumbent group. And when I talk about large, a million is the smallest one in our group and um, 30 million plus is a, is a big. So they're quite established groups or communities already. Um, so instead of going and trying to create a new app or a community product or something like that and then go and acquire users, you know, we go out and say, okay, where are the users already? Um, and that's simply because we found how hard it is to do that. So we thought, okay, well, let's not reinvent that wheel. Let's try and find uh, where these groups already exist. And then we build our customised platform around that in partnership with that, that entity and then we build this, this uh, group out. Um, we're 100% focused now in the USA. Um, even though Brody found uh, an old app that we've got still on Telstra that's not really our core business anymore, we're really focused on the USA and that, that'll become more obvious shortly. So 
just to sort of summarise again, so we look for these content owners and they can be sporting associations, colleges, universities, lifestyle groups, political groups. We then take that group and we, we, we build that tool around that. And um, the other thing I didn't mention is that these groups have to have content or information that is unique to that group so that the members have to access this on a regular basis because we're looking for frequency of interaction and, and use and, and interaction between the members. Um, so although there's content and everything, we then have to provide that social uh, component, component around it. So that's the, the business model. Okay, so that's sort of what we are. Let's sort of go back and talk about sort of how we got here. In 1998, I came up with this idea of creating a, um, a digital trading card. So this is back when, in, especially in business circles, people didn't even know what a CD-ROM was. So um, it's amazing how quickly we've evolved from a technology platform base from the late 90s to where we are today. Um, I was even having a conversation with uh, my youngest son who didn't believe me that the iPhone had only been around since 2007. He was sure that it had been around forever. Um, so... That was sort of where I got in. I mean, I'd been involved in digital media long before that, um, but that's sort of when I sort of started looking at the consumer space and trying to come up with something that we could uh, sell to a large audience. So create something once and then sell it many times to a large audience. So we had this idea of a digital trading card. And then what, what I did is I went out again looking for an audience. So we did deals with big sporting um, clubs and groups. Um, so we did deals with the English Premier League and, and specific clubs within that and players and um, we did stuff with um, tennis stars and um, rugby union, um, cricket, football and so on. Um, and that gave, uh, gave me a lot of grounding in terms of how you go out, go out and sort of do deals and, and get licensing deals done. And, um, and try and sort of work out how you could actually create a market uh, by working with other, other partners. Um, <clears throat> in 1998, obviously, you know, web development was really sort of starting to kick in. It was the, you know, we're into the sort of the original dot-com boom. Um, broadband hadn't really quite made its way here yet, so, you know, it was all about trying to make efficient websites and what have you. But we could see that it, there was something coming around the corner and that if you had broadband internet access, you could do lots of interesting things with media and especially about interaction between people and, you know, so things like, you know, the forums and all that sort of stuff that started out, but then sort of being able to build something around groups and specific interest. In 2002, I thought that mobile would be the new platform, as in, you know, okay, we've done the internet thing now, everyone's got a laptop or a PC or whatever, so, you know, where's the new um, territory or new space that we could carve out a business? Um, so I started developing mobile community products and prototypes uh, in 2002. Um, and then in 2005, eventually, uh, our first sort of real commercial project was we did a deal with the Three Network um, to create a product which was this thing called King Community, which was one of the very early um, sort of magazine, pop culture, um, social sort of things, and, you know, the, the beginning of that sort of whole chat site, mobile chat site phase that obviously then everybody did. So I guess today to try and sort of focus it on what we want to talk about here was sort of talk about how you then take an idea and commercialise it and what happens through that whole process and... And then, you know, all of the struggles and issues that you, you come, ac come across. Um, the thing about ideas is they don't all work. And, you know, you might think that the idea is the most brilliant thing that you've ever heard of or that you've ever created. 
and you're absolutely convinced it's going to be a huge commercial success. But if you only have one idea, you really, you know, you might as well play lotto. You've got to have lots of ideas and you've got to be prepared to uh, explore not so great ideas as well as good ideas because you don't always know what's going to be the great idea. You know, um, there's so many things that sort of evolve as you go through this whole process and you start um, playing around and executing on the idea. And so that's why I say about, you know, the, the, the uh, analogy of, you know, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs to find the prince. That applies to this. You know, you've got to go out there and try lots of things. You've got to meet lots of people. You've got to, um, you know, dream up new ideas. And then you've got to start getting intimate with all of these things. So, you know, start sleeping with the frogs. And um, then the other thing is we, money. Um, what somebody just mentioned already about, you know, getting uh, funding. Um, and, you know, there's the Telstra thing. And then Charlie was talking about, you know, how we need to understand, you know, who our audience is out there in terms of, you know, commercial. And, and he said, you know, um, his, uh, his paper reaches, you know, 45 and above high net worth people. That's who's going to fund you unless you've got somebody who's got an inheritance or you have one lotto. Um, you're going to need money to execute on your ideas. And, um, you know, they might be some of the frogs that you come across, but if they've got money, you need to you need to find the common ground and you need to, you know, be prepared to do things that you might not have thought you would do, but, you know, it's all about getting your idea to fruition. So, um, you know, one of the things I come across a lot, and, and I've certainly been there myself, <clears throat> is that you, you have this sort of, um, you know, this essence, you know, this idea and being true to that idea and being true to your own sort of ideals and all that kind of stuff, and that's great, but in practicality, you've got to be flexible. And, you know, if you blinker yourself or you, you, you put too many barriers around, you know, trying to keep to this, you know, true essence of your idea, you, you may miss opportunities and, or you may just simply die on the vine before you've been able to really do what you set out to do. So you've got to be flexible and you've got to be open. Um, a lot of the time, we, you know, we talk about, you know, people drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, as in they're getting convinced, you know, that, that they're, they're bought into the dream and they've bought into the, the, the idea that you're going to make, a, you know, a squillion dollars. Um, and, yeah, you've got to keep refreshing that, you know, you've got to keep refreshing that dream. You've got to keep topping up that Kool-Aid container and, and keep people drinking it um, because that's also how you get the money to do what you're doing. And um, you'll see a recurring theme through this about the fact that money is needed and you have to be mindful of that all the time because um, unless you're lucky enough to find some, you know, Silicon Valley venture capitalist who's going to write you a cheque for $50 million and let you go off for 10 years and then come back, um, you're going to need money all the time. What it, you know, if you think that you need half a million dollars to get this deal off the ground or this idea off the ground, you're going to need $3 million. If you think you need three, you're going to need 10. Whatever you think you need, you're going to need more. Um, and you'll run out quicker than you think. So, you know, the story, um, the word growth is an important part of the story because from a business perspective, everybody wants to see the growth. Everyone's, everyone wants to understand where the growth opportunity is and especially in, in our field of, you know, mobile advertising, social media or mobile, all those kind of things, it's this growth story. It's like, you know, how big it can be. So it's like what it was at the beginning of the internet. So, um, but the story 
um, you know, is only good as, as, as the parts and um, experience, there's no, there's no substitute for that. You, you're going to have to go out and try different things and get um, your experience along the way and you're going to win some and you're going to lose a lot. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about learning along the way and our background and, you know, what we've, where we've come, so specifically about what we've done, is that we've sort of had this vision and faith in this in the, in really the same core strategy, which is you know building these bespoke social communities around existing audiences and trying to monetize that. And although we had that idea back in 2002, mobile advertising wasn't a, a, a viable business model, um, even though you know a lot of people thought so. And particularly in the US, they they thought it was going to be pretty easy because it sort of had been the case in the online world. Um, and again, more VC money, more time, so you can sort of wait it out. But here in Australia, you know, we, we didn't have that um, luxury. Um, so we had to do other things along the way, and we had to try lots of things, you know, and we did try many uh, different things to fund our business or to go off on tangents or other ideas that would sort of help commercialise what we were thinking about. And, um, you know, some of them worked and a lot of them didn't. But it was all about money. It was all about, okay, well, we can raise money, but we could never raise enough, so we had to try and do different things that would supplement that or, or complement that um, so that we you know, keep the whole business going and, and, and try and find our way through to, to success. You know. And I should point out, we haven't, we're still not there yet. There's a long way to go. You know, we've had um, some wins recently, and we can talk about that in a minute, but um, you know, there's still a long, long way to go. Um, so I'm sure everybody you know, is thinking about where they're going to fit into their uh, specific area, you know, wh whatever it is that you're doing and whatever industry sector or whatever you're doing, you're all trying to find your um, niche within that and you're trying to find your differentiation and you're trying to find how your idea or your product can, you know, uh, cut through or, or, or break out or be, or be, you know, complementary to something else so that, you know, you can, you can be successful in whatever you're, you're chasing. So you do have to find your niche and, and figure out where you fit into the landscape but I can't stress enough about how you must always be thinking about how it's got to be commercially viable. I've come across some really cool things in my time, some really cool ideas and, and technologies and, and products that you just sit there and go, wow, that's really awesome. But it's not commercial. And you can be awesome all you like, but you've got to put food on the table and pay for your fellow uh, workers and your overheads and all that kind of stuff. So you've got to be focused on, on that commercial outcome you know, or how it's going to be commercially viable. Because that's what you're selling to your investors as well, um, which is the money you need to, to do this. And then it's about doing deals as well. And um, the deals are never as simple as you think. I'm sure you've all heard these sort of same sort of cliches or, you know, about, you know, everything takes longer, costs twice as much, you know, it's twice as hard as you think. And doing deals is the same. You know, my history is, is, um, is doing a lot of deals with other people. I talked about, you know, the things that we did licensing, you know, things like, you know, Manchester United you know, as, a, as a, a, an example of, you know, licensing deals down to, you know, the things that we've done with the US universities now. When we set out to do this college deal that we've done, I uh, started that about 18 months ago, when we actually sat down and negotiated um, properly with um, ACIS, which is one of our partners, that was 12 months ago. And I thought we were going to do the deal within a month. 
And then I thought, no, no, we'll do it in three months. And then I was convinced we'd do it in six months. And I'm telling my, you know, my investors and my fellow shareholders and everybody else. So it just, you know, but it ended up taking, you know, 12 months to, to conclude that deal. And in fact, the, the last sort of 10% of doing that deal took three months on its own. So everything takes longer. And they're always more complex and they're never perfect. And the deal that we've done is not perfect. It's a, it's a good deal. It's commercially viable and all that. But, you know, it's still not perfect. And it never, you know, we, we'd be negotiating, you know, for another two years to get it perfect. The other thing I found going through this is that, you know, there is an underlying uh, greed factor. And sometimes it's our own. You know, sometimes it's, you know, what we want out of it. But everybody's in this for themselves. And you can never... Uh, never forget that who you're dealing with, who you're talking to, who you're negotiating with, whether it be uh, a potential investor, whether it be a business partner or whatever, there's always an angle for the other side. And you have to be mindful of that and you have to understand that and you have to go in with eyes open about that. There's your position, what you want out of it, and there's always going to be what they want out of it. And you have to be um, really cognizant of that because I've made that mistake over and over again. I think that, you know, I've sold my story, everybody likes it, you know, this guy's really great or this girl's really, you know, we get along great and, um, you know, you think everybody's on the same team. But the reality is that, you know, the other person's in it for whatever they're going to get out of it and what they want out of it. And they might be aligned and, you know, you might get on and all that sort of stuff. But you, if, you, if you let your guard down, you'll get into trouble and you'll, you'll, things will become complicated, you know, issues will crop up later and then it gets bigger and messier. But if you go in eyes wide open, understanding that everybody's got to have their own angle on this and everybody's going to want their own element, um, then you'll be uh, better off. Ego is a big part of all, this whole game, right? You know, we're, especially when you're younger, you, you're convinced of your own uh, abilities and your your skills and you know you you have your dreams and your vision and you know that's what drives us I mean ego is not a bad thing but you know you have to understand that it is part of the equation and the other party's got an ego as well and um, that can also get in the way of doing a deal but it can also be a positive and that's why I say you know it can, the other party's ego can be your friend because when you're negotiating with somebody if you know what their angle is and you know and you understand that they have an ego approach to it that could be an opportunity to tailor your message or tailor how you're doing the deal if you can play to that you know if you know what it is that turns them on or what is it that they want out of it and it might be something that's not necessarily a commercial thing it might be a personal thing or an ego thing for them and if you understand what that is you can then get a deal done and I can tell you I've, I've been there and done that I've, I've, I've been in situations especially people who uh, have already reached a certain level of financial success so you know money per se is not necessarily the the thing that you know ticks a box for them it's much more of a status thing or an ego thing for them you know they want something else out of it and if you understand what that is and you play to that that can be to your strength you ready to take a left turn? Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so thank you. Um, yeah, so what I was talking about there, yeah, be ready to take a left turn and let fate. Nothing goes in a straight line. You know, I, I think, you know, with, with MoCo's history particularly, you know, we have zigged and zagged and we've gone off on tangents and, you know, we, um, you know, we found ourselves down some dead ends, but we've also found ourselves in new places that actually have opened a new door that, that's, that's um, you know, led to a, a very positive outcome. And... You know, sometimes that is just pure dumb luck. 
you know, and um, you know, you t you've got to take advantage of that. Um, and so I guess my point there is really about just, again, being open to what's going on around you and, and not, not being so rigid about, you know, your, your course, you know, um, because there might be something that crops up and that, you know, that, that, that fate throws in your way and you, you, can, you can jump on that and take, take opportunity out of that. Um, to summarise, okay, so, you know, again, a lot of this stuff is, you know, is cliched, but it's just, you know, it's true. You know, and I, I've, I've been doing this for long enough now to see, and if you take MoCo itself, you know, we've been up and we've been down and, in fact, you know, even six months ago, um, you know, we, we were in a, a much more delicate position than we are today. Um, but the thing is, you just, you, you, you never give up. You know, you've got to keep, keep going. And when I say never give up, it doesn't necessarily mean beating a dead horse, you know, it means never give up in, in what you want to try and achieve, you know, it, your original course or your original idea might not have been the right one, but it doesn't mean you give up generally, you know, you, you go, okay, well, that idea didn't work, I'll try something else, or, you know, um, that, that course of action or, or that pitch didn't work the way, so you just got to keep going, because at the end of the day, you know, the only reason why we're here today and the only reason why I'm here talking to you today is that we just did not give up. You know, we just kept trying new things and just kept going and going and going. And I've had investors and board members and all kinds of people who did give up and they've left. And um, it's great because I've got the last laugh now. Um, you've got to surround yourself with, with good people, obviously. Again, you know, this stuff is, is pretty obvious and I'm sure you've probably heard it all before. But... Yes, you've got to have your vision, and you, but you've got to get good people around you who will share that vision. But they won't also... Um, you, 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 can, you can get lost and, and believe your own bullshit too much too. You need someone to go, yeah, I like where your vision's going, but here's the reality. So that's what I mean by keeping you grounded. The money thing, again. You know, you're going to need more money more often than you can ever think. You know, I'm sure you know, you're doing business plans and you're doing cash flow forecasts and all that kind of stuff and you convince yourself that this is all you need and then you might put a contingency thing in there. It's, I, I just can't stress enough that you'll be wrong. Whatever you think, whatever budget you've put together, it won't be enough. So be ready to either expand on that or, or be ready to go out and have to you know, deal with that again down the track. Um, but you've got to be aware of what the money costs you. Now, if you're borrowing money from, you know, an institution, that's pretty easy. You know, you, you mortgage your house or you, you know, you sign up for a personal loan and you, you know what the interest rate is. But when this thing starts to grow, that's not enough. You're going to start taking on investors and, you know, seed capital and all that kind of stuff. And there's always a cost and there's always hooks. Just be aware of what they are and understand that there will be costs. And they won't be cheap. They'll come with all kinds of strings and you know, people will want you know, half your company or half your idea you know, for a small amount of money. Um, and again, I've been through this, I've done several different things over the time, you know, and I've started out with a majority owner of some, ownership of something and ended up with a very small percentage of it, if any, because you know, that's what happens as, as you go along. And you, and you find yourself down a rabbit hole and you go, well, I'm committed now, <laughs> what else can I do? I gotta take on more money, I'll give away more equity or whatever it is. And um, so, you know, understanding that that's part of the, the equation. And I'm, I'm talking from, because I didn't. I went down this, I've, I, all these things I'm talking about, I didn't know. 
and I've learned and discovered along the way. So maybe I was the one of the dumber ones, but um, you know, it's. I thought I knew things, and I thought I knew stuff. Um, and uh, but you know, what I have found and what I uh, have learned is that everything costs more than you think. So the best idea will fail without the right kind of execution and the right, you know, all of those other things, you know, that make up execution. But a bad idea just will fail. It doesn't matter whether you can have tons of money, you know, great people around you, but if it's not, if it's not commercially viable or it's not going to work, it doesn't matter what, what you do. The other thing that I've absolutely learned is there's a lot more smarter people out there than me. Um, and um, I'm seeing it all the time, every day. But what I have learned is to embrace that and to learn from them. And they're older than me, they're younger than me, um, they're my, my peers, but um, you've got you've to look for that. And you've got to see that out there because it's everywhere. I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of people with really good ways of looking at things, you know, especially if they're not um, as uh, connected to whatever it is that you're doing. If they're outside, you know, they have a more objective view of things. Um, and you know you you want to you want to extract that you want to get that advice and get that honest feedback and and learn from that because somebody will have a, a perspective or, or an interesting angle on something and they might not even be working in your specific field but they've been able to have that helicopter view and you know give you some uh, give you some input on it so you know use them so just a bit of background about um, us now and sort of you know why um, you know, I'm here now. This is, you know, we're, we're a public listed company. Our share price, don't know what it is today, but yesterday it was around the 24 cents. Um, our market cap's now over 100 million. Um, we've managed to repay all of our debt and all of that kind of stuff. And um, you can see here, management ownership, that's the board, that's myself and three other directors. Um, and I'm the smallest one of that group. Um, and our top 20 shareholders, the people that really own the company, have got over 60% of the company. So that's an example of what I'm talking about in terms of where, where you can end up. But I'm happy with that because we have achieved what we needed to achieve to get to this point. And uh, we're now well capitalised. We're now in a very strong position to be able to go forward and execute on our, on our vision of doing these customised communities you know, for these universities. Um, but in March, when we actually signed and we're only in November now, in March when we signed this deal with ACIS, you know, our share price was under three cents. So it's been a pretty sort of quick rise and, um, you know, everybody sort of jumped on the bad wagon. So we're this overnight success all of a sudden, even though we've been doing this for nearly 10 years now. Um, and as I said, you know, that can change again. Just as quickly as it's risen, it can, it can change again if we don't deliver and, and execute on the expectations now that we have in the market and our, our shareholders. Um, this is what I was saying about you know, the, the, the timeline. So you know, back in May, we were nobody. Um, and somebody, I think you used Justin or somebody, they'd never even heard of MoCo before, even though we've been working away here in Perth for over 10 years. That's it. So I think uh, that's my bit. I think lots of times the stories that we hear about startup successes sort of reflect the history that you just told us, which is that uh, they look like overnight successes until we start to dig a little deeper. And so 
I'm very thankful we had the opportunity to dig a little deeper here this morning. Thanks for that. No